Let's turn in our Bibles this morning to the book of First Thessalonians. First Thessalonians chapter four. First Thessalonians four is uh, one of these passages that does have a lot of doctrine. Uh, it talks about uh, um, you know us getting called out of here. Talks about uh, some important principles. Uh, but this morning, I want to focus a little bit on something that's a bit more practical, a bit more practical. And I want us to take a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1. And it says here, furthermore, we then we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, that as you've received of us, how you ought to walk and to please God, so you would abound more and more. Obviously, Paul's concerned about their Christian walk. Paul wants them to abound in Christ and what they're doing. And if he said, if you notice there, he says, and to please God. The Christian life is meant to please God. Okay. If the Christian life does not please God, then it's not the Christian life. It's walking after something else. And he says, for ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification, that you should abstain from fornication, that every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. This is an important principle. Somebody will say, well, I want to know what the will of God is. And well, right here. First Thessalonians, First Thessalonians 4, 3 and 4 makes it very clear. How are you going to possess the vessel that God has given you? And how are you going to do it in the sanctification and honor? Honor. I know a lot of Christians that behave dishonorably. Dishonorably. They don't honor God with their, their words. They don't honor God with their actions. They don't honor God in their thoughts. And he says, this is how you're supposed to possess that vessel. Now, we're not going to go into the vessels, and that is a great study in its own right, but we're going to move on. And in verse 5, it says, not in the lust of concupiscence, even as the Gentiles which know not God, that no man go beyond and defraud his brother in any matter, because that the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified. For God hath not called us unto uncleanness, but unto holiness. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again, Lord, for an opportunity to to be in your word and to study it. I pray, Lord, that as we look at this uh, issue of desire this morning, that, Lord, you would just give us a clear thought, a clear mind about how we can please you and honor you. And, Lord, I just pray that our hearts would be uh, fixed and ready to receive what you have given to us, what is in your word, and that, Lord, it would be a, 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 just a, a time of blessing and refreshment that we can receive from you, and that, Lord, we'd learn some practical things about how to combat these things on a day-to-day basis, how to walk in a manner that would please you, so that we would abound more and more. Pray, Lord, you just be with me, speak through me, uh, Lord, set aside the flesh and any thoughts and anything that is in my heart and my mind, that only your words would come forth and only what you want said would be said. Again, I praise you for all that you've done for us, the salvation that you've given to us, your word, your Holy Spirit, 
the guidance and direction. And all of this I pray in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. So here we are in this passage talking a bit about the Christian walk. And one of the areas that I want to focus on is in verse 5. There's a word in there that is a difficult word. A lot of people couldn't give the exact definition of what that word means. But there we see concupiscence as a, as a, as a problem, as something that is in a negative context, as in is a sinful thing to do. And what that is, is essentially lusting after sin. It is a intense desire. It is an intense if you will, covetousness for sinful things. Now, sometimes we are covetous after good things. I covet prayer. That's a good thing to covet. It's not wrong to covet that. But what is wrong is for me to say, covet somebody else's car, to covet somebody else's life, covet somebody else's house or job, covet somebody else's uh, status or position, whatever it may be. God makes it clear that, that we're not supposed to do those things. And, and, and what we have in a Christian life and why we struggle so much is because we have failed to really put to death those sinful desires that he's talking about here. The desire for sin. We don't put that to death frequently. We're, we're, we're not, we're not really entering into a, 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 a pattern of where we do those things. Let's go over to the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 23, Matthew chapter 23. And I want us to see a few things about what God says about this issue of, if you will, desire and, 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 and putting those things to death. And in Matthew chapter 23 and in verse uh, 27, here he says, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Why? Because they still desired sinful things. They still desired that which was contrary to God. Those thoughts, those desires have effectively ruined the Pharisees. He calls them hypocrites. Why? Because their heart is not towards God. It's towards themselves. It's towards the sinful actions. I mean, you go back over there, go over to Genesis 3 now. Genesis chapter 3. I want you to see something here that, that, that is really just kind of jumps out at you. In Genesis chapter 3, <clears throat> here we see the, the serpent beguiling Eve and we see Adam taking of the fruit and eating it. And we see here, you know, what the serpent says 
In verse 5, For God doth know in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. So he proposes something that they'll know good and evil. You know what? I would rather not know evil. I'd rather be completely oblivious to it. I spent a lot of my young adult life learning about what evil really is. How, 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 how sick man can be in the way that he behaves, the way that they act. And I'll tell you this, I wish I didn't know that. I really wish I didn't know that. But now we do because of what Adam and Eve did. Could you imagine if Eve just looked at it and said, nah, no, nah, I'm going to go with what God said. You ever sit there and ponder that thought? How different things would have been? Well, God knew exactly what was going to happen, and I'm not trying to say anything that would be different than what God knew and what God knows, But I, because he knew he was going to have to die for his creation even before he created the earth. I'll, I'll tell you this. Just just that thought and just sitting there thinking about it, man alive, things would be very different. Things would be very different. But here, here I want you to see something in verse 6. And it says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise. There was a desire that was there. Wrong kind of wisdom, by the way. It was leading into something that she really didn't need to know. And I'll tell you this, sometimes the wise man knows there are certain things that are better off left unknown. There are certain things that are better off left unknown. But here, she saw it, it was to be desired, And what did she do? She took of the fruit thereof and did eat. And gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. So we see the fall of mankind. We see them desiring something. And that's a problem. That desire wasn't effectively killed right off the bat. And we as believers have to understand that we have to kill that. We have to put that, that that desire for sin to death. We have to get rid of it out of our lives. Otherwise, we're going to wind up like a bunch of Pharisees. We're going to try to look good on the outside, but on the inside, man, we're secretly desiring those things. And we shouldn't. We shouldn't. You know, when God gave the Ten Commandments over there in Exodus chapter 20, the last ones that he gave were concerning covetousness. Turn to Exodus 20. Look at verse, look at verse 17. Exodus 20 and verse 17. He's gone and here he is at the very last part of it in verse 17. Thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's house, thou shalt not cover thy neighbor's wife, nor his maidservant, or his manservant, nor his maidservant, nor his ox, nor his ass, nor anything that is thy neighbor's. He says, don't do it. Why? Because it builds about a lust. You go over there where Paul starts talking about his death when he died, when he sinned, 
he's talking about it and he says very specifically the sin that he had was one of lust. He talks about how the word said thou shalt not covet, but what did he do? He lusted, he had a desire anyways, knowing that it was directly against God. Death came. Death came. Therefore, for us, you know, let's put it in this context. Therefore, for us to, to, to desire anything that does not belong to you, as he says here, is sin. To desire something that is not yours is a sinful lust. And I will say, there are a lot of people that desire things that aren't theirs on a day-to-day basis. Christians struggle with that. Some Christians struggle with it, that they desire the things of God when God hasn't given it to them. There are guys that I know that, that uh, if you will, they, they desire to be some sort of preacher or pastor, and God hasn't given them that ministry. God hasn't given everybody that ministry. There's some people that just can't handle it. How do I know that? Because the average, if you will, tenure for a pastor is about three years. And then they move on. They got to go somewhere else. Or they last three years and then they quit. Some get it extended all the way out to seven. I look at guys like, you know, Pastor Doug Fisher, uh, Pastor Blue, uh, Pastor DeMichael. Man, they, they're in it for the long haul. 30 something years. They're going to die in the pulpit. Pastor Blue's already passed on. He was there as much as he could until his body just no longer would would cooperate. He had ALS. Pastor DeMichael still, you know, dealing with cancer stuff. Pastor Doug Fisher, a serious a serious incident. Uh, um, uh, I believe it was with his heart, had surgery, and uh, had a stroke. These are guys that have been in the ministry a long time. And then there's these guys that desire something that hasn't been given to them. Or they can't handle it. They can't handle it. You know, this, this desire for anything that is not ours includes what God does not give to you. I want you to think about that. That includes what God does not give to you. I could sit here right now and if I wanted to lust after a body that has not been brutalized by doctors. (laughs) 
Has God given that to me? Some people wind up with cancer. Some people wind up with illnesses and health conditions. Let's not make it a lust and let's not go after concupiscence where we're sitting there lusting and desiring for something that God has not given to us. We may not have that health. We may not have those things. The lottery system is made up of those that lust after the things of the world. Desiring it. What are you going to do with a billion dollars anyways? Spend it all in a month? Probably. Probably. And this really truly also means that this desire for sin, which is refused, referred to in Scripture as concupiscence, is sin itself. Some people will entertain that thought. Some people will sit there in their mind and they will sit there and think, oh, well, you know, you know, it's okay for me to just kind of lust a little bit after something. Well, if God says that the lust is wrong and is sinful, for us to entertain it and desire that in our lives, we're entering into what he refers to as concupiscence, which is the desire for sin. Now, again, some people will say, well, I'm not desiring to sin on a day-to-day basis, but sometimes we are. We desire not to forgive a brother or sister in Christ. We desire to be bitter. We desire to uh, um, uh, be unthankful. We desire to, uh, um, you know, not be content with the things that we have. We have desires of those natures. God says these things need to be put put to death. They need to be put to death. And, and, and when we look at our Christian life, this is one of the reasons why we continue sometimes to struggle with sins that we can't seem to get a victory over. That we can't get a victory over. Why? It's because we have not put to death the desire. The desire still exists. The desire must be eliminated. The desire must be removed. Turn to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians 3, and uh, we'll take a look at verse 5. But in Colossians chapter 3, he makes mention, and if you will, it gets right to the point of the matter. In Colossians chapter 3, in verse 5, he says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence and covetousness, which is idolatry. He gets right to it, doesn't he? He he goes through a couple of physical things, but then he starts talking about things that are not physical. Fornication is a physical act. Uncleanness can be a physical act. But here he is in these last three. What does he do? He goes straight to the heart. Inordinate affection. 
something that affects you in a bad way. We are all affected. that as a learning opportunity and as a lesson, you know what I do? I make sure the thing is dead. I want to hear it crunch. I want to see legs separated. I want to make sure that it's not recognizable as, as a spider. That all it is is just some smeared stain. We're willing to do that with something that is, well, technically God's creation. But are we willing to do that when it comes to the desires for the sinful things in this life? Are we willing to mortify it in such a way that we are willing to just destroy it completely? That it does not have an effect in our life any longer? Are we willing to go that route? We think about this, and there should be this desire to do these things. I mean, God even points out that sometimes we have to get really radical with that. There is something in counseling that is called radical amputation. The Bible goes over there and talks about if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. I totally understand the context and I understand what's going on with that. Understand who it's talking to. Understand all about that. But you know, there's the practicality of it is how far are we willing to go? How far are we willing to go? The desire for sin leads to destruction. Turn over to the book of James. I know we're studying James on Wednesday night. Encourage you to come with that, uh, come to that because James has got a lot of great, a lot of great Christian living application. But in James chapter one and in verse 14, it says, but every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. You want to know why temptation comes? It's because it's what you want. Why do we fall for temptation? It's because it's what we want. And what happens? And verse 15, then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, bringeth forth death. There are consequences. There are consequences. It will kill you. You go around and you play with a radioactive material, it will kill you. You decide you're going to play around with nerve gas, it will kill you. You decide you're going to play around with cyanide, it will kill you. They will destroy you. The same thing with sin. Take a look at chapter 4. Chapter 4 and in verse 1. Chapter 4 verse 1, he says, From whence come wars and fightings among you? Come they not hence, even of your lusts that war in your members? There is a fight going on inside of you. And that fight spills out elsewhere. You ever notice how fights spill out and involve other people? Fight on the street spills out. People start punching and swinging. 
People that have no, absolutely have no dog in the fight. What do they do? They come and they fight. Why? Because, well, it's a fight. What happens with wars? Everybody gets dragged into it. Got a conflict between Palestinians and Israelis. Okay. Well, we all know who the one is there that, 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 that is right with it. But the end result is what? It's dragging other countries into it. Drags other countries into it. But it starts off with a lust. I want this. I want this. He says, you you lust and you have not, you can kill and desire to have and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you have not because you ask not. Not looking for the right things. Not looking for what God wants. Turn over to the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 2. Proverbs chapter 2. In uh, Proverbs chapter 2, verse 19. I think I might have a typo here. Hold on a second. And I do. Let's go over to chapter 7. Chapter 7 and uh, take a look at... uh, Verse uh, 22. It says, He goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth to the slaughter, or as a fool to the correction of the stalks, till a dart strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth his snare, and knoweth not that it is for his life. That's what desire does. The wrong desire leads to a snare in a person's life, leads to a trap. Leads to death. They may not die immediately, but things around them begin to die. Relationships. Connections. Spiritual life, spiritual walk. All of it begins to fade. Over in Galatians chapter 5, he talks about, he says, walk in the spirit and you won't walk in the flesh. Turn there, Galatians 5, and, and, and we see exactly how, how we can combat this on a day-to-day basis. It involves a spiritual walk. In Galatians chapter 5, in, in, uh, as he says there in uh, uh, verse 15, he says, But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. And what is he talking about? He's talking about lust. He's talking about how people go about doing things. But in verse 16, he says, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, the Spirit against the flesh. These are contrary one to another, so you cannot do the things you would. You know why we have issues serving God? You want to know why we have issues doing the right thing? It's because we've got a lust in there that just keeps coming up that has not been mortified. And the way that we mortify it is that we are continually engaging the Holy Spirit of God at 
every point and opportunity in our life. That we are so devoted unto God that we cannot get through the day without asking God every hour, every moment, God, am I doing what is right? God, does this please you? God, am I fulfilling your will? God, do you get the glory out of this? That's walking in the Spirit. Why? Because the Spirit testifies of God. Testifies of who He is. Testifies of what He has done. We find this over and over again. But then, you know, and I don't want to paint such a gloomy picture that we, we, we sit there and think, oh man, I'm going to be wrestling with this for my whole, whole life. You know what? There is a hope. Turn over to Second Peter. Second Peter chapter one. Second Peter chapter one. I want us to see this here. There is a hope. There's a hope because we, Look, we're saved, born-again children of God. If you've trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are a new creature. You have access to something the rest of the world doesn't. A hope and a power that is beyond their comprehension. Peter notes this, and he says in verse 3 of Second Peter chapter 1, according to his divine power, hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness. You have everything at your disposal to live a godly life. You don't need anything else. God's already provided it through his power. Not on your own, not by someone else, but by him. He has given us all things that pertain unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that calleth us, uh, excuse me, who hath called us to glory and virtue. He's called you to those things. This is what he wants in your life. This is what he desires. And he says, yeah, you can do this. I've given you everything that you need. Christian says, well, but, but, but I can't. We have to kill those words. We have to kill that thought. Because it says right here, he has given us, according to his divine power, everything we need to live this Christian life. And to live it in a way that glorifies God. So, so overall, there's some practical steps to take. And I want to leave us with three practical steps. The first step overall overarching is obviously salvation. These don't work if you're not saved. If you are not a born again child of God, if you are you know, saying whatever you think you can get to heaven on your own, you can't do it. It's just not going to work. You need Jesus Christ. Without him, it is impossible. 
with him, it's possible. So what do we find here? Let's take a look at three things. If we've trusted Christ as our Savior, uh, but find ourselves continually fighting the same fight every single day because of sinful desires, here are three steps you can take. Here are three things that you can do. The first one is this. You have to confess your sins to God. Go over to 1 John. 1 John. 1 John chapter 1. And in verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that verse. Man, that should that should be a life verse for every Christian. We should cling to that. We should love it. We should should treasure that. We should memorize it. We should meditate on it. We should just absolutely just adore it. Verse 10, it says, If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Now, I want to start with this. When we start talking about dealing with sin and sinful desires and sinful lust, this concupiscence, that concupiscence, there we go. I'll get it out one of these days. That we're talking about to battle that on a daily basis. You know what we have to do? We have to confess our sins to God. You know what that means? That means that we say it is sin. Some people aren't willing to say it's sin. Well, I made a mistake. No, you sinned. Well, I may have erred just a little bit. Well, in the Bible, God calls error sin. (laughs) Well, you know, it's not that bad. No, it's ugly. We have to look at it the same way that God looks at it. We have to say, that's disgusting. I don't want any part of it. It's sick. We have to view it the same way. We have to have the same mindset. We have to say the same thing that God says about it. It's abominable. Proverbs chapter 6. We go with it that way. We say it's sin. You can't confess Something that's not sinful. You can't confess doing what is right because you've done what is right. We're confessing and we're saying to God, hey, yeah, you say this is sin. I agree with you. It is sin. I have sinned against you. Say the same thing God does. It's the first thing you do. First thing you do is you recognize it's sin. You address it as sin. You go to God and say, God, I have sinned. I have sinned. Praise God for his mercy and his forgiveness. Because it says right there, he will do that. He's faithful to do it. We're not faithful in our life. He's faithful, though. He is the faithful one. Secondly, you know what you're going to have to do? is You're going to have to make some tough choices against sin. Matthew chapter 5. I was just talking about what he says over there. Uh, you know, you might have to cut something off. Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 and in verse 29, he says, If thy right eye offend thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and that not the whole body should be cast into hell. If thy right hand offend thee, cut it off, cast it off from thee. For it is profitable for thee that one of thy members should perish, and that not the whole body should be cast into hell. Again, understanding the context here, but let's talk about a good principle is you have to cut it out. 
Cut it out. Remove it. Well, that might be painful. Yeah, it will be. You might have to cut off a relationship that will hurt you. Then do it. Then do it. You you, you might have to make a tough choice. You might have to say, "I, I cannot be trusted with any electronic device. You might have to go back to using a rotary phone. I know, the horror. Some of you are like, rotary phone? What's that? Go look it up. It's hilarious. Some guy, you know, said, hey, I'll give you, you know, these two teenagers, I'll give you $100 if you can dial this number. And gave them a rotary phone. And watching them try to figure out how to use a rotary phone, it's hilarious. It's hilarious. You're back and forth. Oh, man. If you're dying international, you're sitting there going, you know, you got like 17 numbers that you're dialing and, you know, difficult. You might have to do that. You might have to change your job. But that's tough. You're going to have to make some tough decisions. You're going to have to make some tough decisions. Turn over to Hebrews chapter 12. Notice what he tells uh, the uh, uh, the Jews here in Hebrews chapter 12. <clears throat> and in verse 4, he says, Ye have not yet resisted unto blood striving against sin. Is the battle so intense in your Christian life that you would be willing to bleed for it? He says, you haven't gone that far yet, believers. Striving against sin, that it actually draws forth blood. He says, you haven't even gone that far. That means you got to make some radical decisions and radical choices in your life. How far would you be willing to go? How far would you be willing to go to eliminate the sin in your life? How far? Thirdly, lastly, every single wrong desire and lust in your life must be replaced with a godly one. Don't think that you can just eliminate it and just let it go and be vacant. Why? Because more will show up and you'll be worse than you were in the beginning. So what do you do? Every time you eliminate one of those wrong behaviors there must be a good one to replace it. There must be one there that you have to replace. Psalm 119, verse 11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. 
the more of this book that is in there, the less those desires are going to be because there's no room for them. There's no allowance for them. There's no opportunity. When we begin to realize, and if you will turn to Hebrews chapter 10, we're right there. Hebrews chapter 10. I want us to see something here and just kind of a quick example. You know, sometimes people provoke each other to anger. You ever have somebody provoke you to anger? That ever happened in your life? Married couples. Has that, has that ever happened with you and your spouse? Has there been a provocation? Now's the time of testimony. I don't see anybody testify. <laughs> Take a look at this. In verse 24, and it says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. When's the last time you were provoked to do something that was loving and a good work in the eyes of God? And we are supposed to provoke one another to do that. That's not in your face, you know, getting all mean and nasty. It's a provocation that is a good one. We don't provoke unto anger. We replace the provo- that provocation to do that which is wrong with a provocation to do that which is right. And he says in verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another as so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know what? People are willing to abandon church and abandon what God has died for and abandon all those things. And if you will forsake them. And God says, don't do that. I want you to do this instead. What I want you to do is instead of thinking about leaving church, I want you to think about how you can exhort people in the church. You're ever tempted to leave a church? Stop for a moment and say, okay, when's the last time I exhorted anybody in that church? When's the last time I edified somebody in that church? Maybe the problem isn't the people in the church. Maybe the problem is me. Maybe the problem lies in my heart and what I want, my desires. Let's replace it with the right thing. Let's replace it with the godly thing. Paul talks about that over in the book of Philippians. Let's turn to one final passage and we'll be done. Philippians chapter 3. And he says, this needs to be the mindset. This needs to be the desire. In Philippians chapter 3, take a look at what he says here. Philippians chapter 3, as he goes through and he begins to outline all these things that he's done, you know, uh, who he was, the the fact that he was this, you know, Pharisee of the Pharisees, as he calls. And as he gets through all these things, verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. And he would actually say that he could not be blamed about anything in the law, that he didn't violate anything. And he says here, but what things were gained for me, I count those I counted loss for Christ. 
Yea, doubtless I counted all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ my Lord. He says, the more I know about him, the less those things matter. It's the replacement. Three steps. Confess it. Say what God says about it, your sin. Make the tough choice. Mortify it. Get radical about mortifying it. And lastly, make sure that there's something in there that's going to replace it that will glorify God. These are some practical steps to take when you desire sin in your life. And I'll tell you, it's easy to identify when you're desiring sin. It's when you fight the same battle that you fought yesterday. When it's the same battle that you fought last year and the year before that. It's the same battle that you fought an hour ago. Three practical steps from Scripture. Simple. Easy. How do you battle that concupiscence? How do you battle that lust? How do you battle that covetousness? How do you battle those things that bring death and destruction in your life? Well, it's really easy. Confess it. Change it. Replace it. Let's close with a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time and opportunity. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just meet with you and hear these principles from your word. I pray, Lord, that we would take them and we would apply them, that we would not just casually sit by and say, well, that was for someone else, that wasn't for me, because we all struggle with sin. We all struggle with sin on a day-to-day basis. And Lord, you've given us the keys to victory. You've given us how to live godly. And they're plain right there in Scripture. Lord, may we follow those things. May we follow after you. May we desire your word and desire to please you more, desire your glory, desire your honor and praise more than anything else in our life. I thank you again, Lord, for those that are here. Thank you again for all that you've done for us. With our heads bowed and our eyes still closed, you know, if you're here today and uh, maybe you're struggling with a constant battle, maybe you realize uh, you're fighting the same fight that you just fought yesterday. If that's the case, this message was for you. I don't know anything about your life. I don't know anything about I wasn't preaching anybody specific. This is just what the Holy Spirit said. Yeah, here you're preaching that this morning. If there's something that you need to change in your life, and maybe you need to do some radical amputation, maybe you really need to get serious about mortifying your member, then do it today. We're going to close with some hymns here in just a minute. If you've got to get some things right, just do it in your seat. Do whatever it is. 
If you need help and you need counseling, look, and there's no shame in asking for help. There's no shame. God put us all here together for that purpose. If you need some assistance, can show you from Scripture. Can show you how you can have that. Can show you how you can live a life that is godly, that's called unto holiness. Just come see me. I'll show you from Scripture how that can be done. If you got to get it taken care of today, do what you got to do. Lord, again, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. And this I ask in your son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.